0: Hello again, welcome back, welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential here at EarSports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza. It is Tuesday morning. I only know this because I'm looking at a calendar right now. It is what helps me keep sort of days so they all don't blend together. It's my beacon in the dark. And so is the gentleman I'm about to introduce here, Chris Anderson. Chris? Michael, how are you? Good. I'm getting used to not being used to anything, so a little bit better than that. Let's start off today by being kind and not joking, yes. and not making light of situations. Um, did not get any blowback on that last week. We uh, we frequently start about talking about feedback and things that people have said, or what type of comments or texts or emails you've received. I was a little worried last week. Not gonna lie to you. Um, it because we talked about forthcoming news from Shane Lyons, uh, when we talked on Friday morning. Um, and then pretty much before we even ended, we had an idea what was going to happen and everything. And we had to go back and pin an addendum to the front of the podcast by saying, Hey, we're not joking about Friday at three o'clock. Kind of a bummer of a day Friday. Maybe there's good news. and Maybe, um, weeks or months now, everybody comes back and then eventually salaries are restored. But for the time being a bit of a bummer, but, uh, we're just going to go into the actual content here and not try to be funny or not try to, like, uh, be glib about anything like that. But to to go back to that, Chris, um, that seemed inevitable that every since every other you know peer institution either has or will probably have to do something like this. Um, it was probably going to happen to West Virginia. And it did. But apart from the obvious that, uh, again, it's a bummer, it's unfortunate. Um, reactions to the news. um, Pay cuts, positions eliminated, furloughs. How did it strike you on Friday?
1: Like you said, none of that should should really be surprising. Um, the fact that they didn't cut any sports is always a good sign. Uh, that I think that shows that maybe they're not at their you know at the worst possible spot. They're not in, in, in that at that point yet. And unfortunately, you know, as we're as we talked about it right before we we found out what was going to happen and we were in a good mood. And we mentioned the Friday four o'clock, but said, you know, maybe some good news is coming because I felt like we had been getting good news kind of around college football about, Hey, all these schools announcing that our students will be here in the fall and we intend on, we plan on and so on, you know, no, nothing concrete, but all more optimistic views of we plan on kind of, moving back towards a normal, not getting, not being normal, but moving back towards it. And so it was kind of a bummer that obviously it it was some bad news um, for a lot of people. And, but the thing that stood out to me the most was how this has nothing to do with no football or altered football. This is about what's already happened. And if there's no football, I believe the exact word he used was, catastrophic Mm -hmm. is the impact on if there is no football or if there are major alterations to the football season. And I think that's why when you see all these comments, people making commentary right now, we've we've heard Mark Emmert come out and say that there'll be no football if there's nobody in the stands. And then Jay Billis very correctly points out that he's not going to have as much to say as he thinks he is, because if there's no football entire universities will be shutting down. I I, Like, they'll try to have school in the fall, but it will be catastrophic. It will, like, end a lot of things, and maybe this will change the way people approach things, how much money they get or how they budget or how much they spend on certain things. But that kind of stood out to me that, man, if there is no football, it's going to get bad. And I don't think there's going to be no football because I believe – that because of this, because of they realize that these administrators, that these athletic directors, that these presidents realize how important football is for the university, financially speaking, this is going to be some sort of breaking point between whether Power Five schools, FBS schools, FCS, the NCAA, however you see this this kind of fissure coming, there's going to be a, a break here, I think, because I don't think everybody's going to be on the same page
0: so much to unpack there, Chris. uh, Let's spend a little bit of time with that because you, you've, you've knocked on the door and left this huge box on the front porch. And there's a lot that I think we need to cover because it's really important. Um, I think my, my sense of watching and listening to lions on Friday was he, he looked kind of fatigued from the decisions he had to make. And probably some of the news he had to deliver to people. I also got the sense that he knew he's probably not done. And he's talking about a $5 million shortfall. Um, and he got himself out of about sixty percent of that damage. I think they said it was gonna save them about three million dollars, right? Yeah. So that leaves another two million there, and that's operating under the assumption that they're going to have football in the fall. Maybe true. It's it's leaning toward that to the point that we've gone from conversations about if we'll have football to how we'll have football, which is I think at least encouraging is if you're trying to climb the mountain here, you know, you stick your your stake in the rock and you pull yourself up. Well, now you've done that right now. You've gotten over one hurdle. You got to pull yourself up to the next and figure out how you get people into the games. And I got keep going back to this and it's going to be like a civil war. And I don't know what'll happen after, but you're going to have a lot of, you know, factions and infighting here because people forget like the NCAA does not have a lot of oversight over what the FBS does more. So the power five, the power five leagues, they call themselves the autonomous five because they're autonomous. they, Rule themselves and the NCAA pretty much gave them that authority. I forget what it was maybe six years ago now Mm -hmm. by being able to provide for the student athletes in different means, you know, health care, after football, training tables, meals, things like that. All those measures that seem small or significant at at that time, they still matter now. And not because like you can do certain things, but you kind of give them the right to do that. So I don't think the NCAA is going to be able to come down and say, everybody must do this because you've already said 65 of these teams are different than the other 64. So like, how do you govern this? I don't know how you draw these lines. I don't know how you redistrict football or anything like that. It's going to look like a congressional map in Texas probably. And I don't know how that's going to like satiate everybody there, but even that, like, can you tell, can, can one conference in the power five go and, and another one can't maybe can some of the schools in a conference go and others can't, I don't know. And then, furthermore, like what happens in West Virginia, where you have a Power Five and a Group of Five school, do you go by the state government? Do you go by the NCAA? Do you go by the Power Five? Do you go by the Group of Five? It's there's so many variables in there that again, there's a whole lot in that box, and it's extremely complicated. It's going to take time to unpack, but we're really getting close to you know significant dates for how you start. I think we're beginning to understand all the questions. No idea about the answers.
1: Yep. And one of those first dates is, what, Wednesday of this week here mm-hmm. um, with the May 13th with the NCAA getting back together to discuss the current um, ban on in-person recruiting and, and team activities through the end of May. So uh, I think we might have an answer on a couple things, not a lot of things, but maybe a, a little bit of clarity in within 24, 48 hours.
0: What do you think? What, what do you think will happen that day?
1: Oh God. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit confused because, and I, I've aired my grievances on here and on the board and everything else, but I, I I don't understand how and why they haven't already said, let's just continue this in-person recruiting ban through the end of June and then get back to recruiting in July and maybe even limit team activities um, or, or keep them small somehow in June. And then you can kind of ramp things up into July because, uh, as it stands now, July is already a dead period and, and not just for recruiting, but for, uh, what they can do with players as well. Uh, the coaches as it stands, or as it used to be, who knows what's going to be this year. I, I can literally remember that seven on seven camp the recruiting camp I'm talking about. Of course, it is that kind of last Saturday in June and there's the championship game. And right along the goal line are all the coaching staff, all the staffers standing right there to watch this final game. And yeah, they're watching the game. Yes, they're watching their recruits. But half of them, the ones that, say, aren't recruiting that area or aren't recruiting that position are like a, a sprinter on a block in the Olympic trials or something, like ready to sprint right towards the parking lot the minute that final whistle blows. Cause then they start on their vacation. That's when they get their vacation. They leave the students to kind of just work out on their own or work out, um, with the, the strength and conditioning staff and focus on school. And so that's already going to be like that in July. So I don't see why we try to make that June and, and flip things. It, it, it seems to make so much sense to me and maybe there's an obvious reason why it doesn't, but to me, it makes so much sense.
0: We'll get to why we actually decided to sit down and talk today, which is this exercise of re-rating and re-ranking recruiting classes from the past. But let's stick on this topic here with um, dates coming up and and decisions. And I think things that are becoming more and more assertive from the different parties with regard to football and how it comes back. This did not get a lot of attention and probably deserves more. But Mark Emmert, who is the head of the NCAA, said that he talked to presidents, Chancellors, conference commissioners, and there was agreement that you can't have football without students on campus. How can you have players on a field if you can't have people on a campus, right? And then the commissioner of the Big 12, presumably one of the people that Emmert has had that conversation with, says, well, actually, you could do that. Like, if you can have online classes and kids are in school, well, yeah, you can play football, which is a pretty swift capitulation from emirates point to volsby's like it's two very different things they stand in opposition to one another and you kind of see where these conferences are going now that's probably going to be a different story in other places you mentioned oregon and its set of rules that's way different than what's happening in georgia and florida for example and and how those things work too so it's it's going to be very unusual very different but the whole fan thing that's an important thing too because let's say you can have football Everybody can do it, but you can't have fans. Can you tell a school in a state or a school in a city or whatever that everything's cool and you can have gatherings and you can have sporting events? Can you tell them that they can't have it because another school in another city, in another state on the other side of the country can't? And that's a huge competitive and a huge equity matter that I think that they're really kind of trying to figure out how do you do it? Everybody can play. That's good. You can make TV money. But man, the money you can make by having fans in the stands, that's significant too. West Virginia is in excess of $2 million for every regular home game. If you tell them that they can't have that, they're going to lose $12 million. But if the governor says, no, West Virginia, it's safe, it's fine, have your football games, all right, you're going to make $12 million, but maybe somebody who's in the Big Ten can't do that. Maybe another Big 12 school can't do that because their rules, their jurisdiction says no fans. Um, that's going to be a weird thing. And again, go back into West Virginia. If conference USA, which has Marshall says, sorry, no fans, but we'll get everybody back in the field. And West Virginia says, we're in the big 12. We're allowed to have fans because, you know, Oklahoma, great progress, Texas, great progress. That's going to be very different. And how do you adjudicate one or the other here? So these things are so strange and so different. And then that kind of funnels down to what you're talking about now here too is ncaa going to have the oversight for recruiting or is that going to be a group of five a power five a conference by conference thing a state by state thing i have no idea like this i mean yeah these things are going to come pretty fast now there's been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion a lot of thinking for a while the time for action is coming and that's probably what i'm most curious about which is probably an obvious thing because we've been waiting so long what actually happens is what we are and what we want to know most but I'm fascinated by the many possibilities, like the many possibilities, Never mind the outcomes. But I think we're going to see so many different proposals and theories before we get one that actually comes out. But what comes out may be very different from one to the next.
1: And I'm going to ask you something on here related to this that I think somebody asked me earlier, I didn't have the exact answer, but I mentioned on our board the other day that I've been, you know, every, every few days I check in with, the signees for basketball and football guys that were scheduled to enroll at the end of this month of the first week of June, every single one I've spoken to every single one all the way up. Uh, I think the last time I asked them was Thursday night or Friday night uh, or it was Friday night. Cause I was talking to them about the reaction to the branding partnership for a Saturday morning article and every single one of them again. Yeah. I'm gonna be there the first week of June. That's the plan right now. And I'm looking at the calendar. That's three weeks from now. And I don't – are they enrolling just to get to campus to take online classes? Are the dorms even open? Are they allowed to do that? Um, I think we'll get some of the answers, at least as far as football activities from the NCAA later this week. But I'm curious – I mean, you're there. Are are the dorms open? Are kids even allowed to be there?
0: No. No? No. I mean, they could be here. That they can't tell them to stay away, and then they had that period of quarantine where, if you came from a hot spot, it was fourteen days. If you came elsewhere, it was five days. Um, how you track that? I have no idea. But so in theory, if they're gonna have, if they're gonna have everybody back on campus on June first, then they're gonna have to start letting people know soon because I'm assuming those quarantine things still come into place. I'm not sure all the hotspots are the same. And sure, in fact, I'm sure that a bunch of them have fallen off. But dorms aren't. Open to my knowledge right now like there's nothing on campus that is functioning as normal so that'll be strange now you can enroll and take online courses that's going to start up here soon so could guys get into curriculum and just bank some credit hours before they get on campus yeah I think so I don't think that's an issue and I don't think people should make too big of a deal of that for example uh, TCU had a five star recruit a running back enroll on monday and i think people were like wait a minute what you can do that like he's not going to be in the front row of like english 101 taking classes today he's probably just in online courses and those things can open up now um i don't think it's anything against that like they've been having online semesters so as i'm listening to you talk conceivably some of these kids as long as they've graduated they could or have you know attained the credits to graduate they could probably start online classes soon and just start banking hours that's good but see, physically being on campus, I think, is a different matter right
1: now. Yeah, and I think I, I um, you know, clarified that with a couple of guys. Like, you're going to be in Morgantown, and the answer was still yes. So, not all of them, have I, I didn't clarify that with all of them, but a couple of them, yes, like physically on campus is their plan in three weeks. Um, but I guess we'll see. I mean, again, it's a plan, and, and everybody's aware that plans might change, and they all know that too, and they've all said that too, so –
0: well, well it wouldn't uh, be hard to, it, it wouldn't be hard to unroll that. Like you could, you could on what's a week from June 1st, 24th, right? 25th. You could say on May 24th, May 25th. Hey, we'll have the dorms open on June 1st. That could happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mike, I have I have some breaking news that is completely unrelated to this, and it's going to make you really excited, mm-hmm. like really excited.
0: Hold on, okay. You ready? I don't know if I can be after that, but yeah. Uh,
1: your employer, CBS Sports, has inked a four-year deal to show every UConn football home game. Are you ready for that? That's that's your team. Oh, man. He's finally speechless. What? What? <laughs> You thought I was going to tell you something about WBU. This just scrolled right across my text. CBS Sports and UConn Football. Randy Edsel, baby. Randy Edsel. Maybe they can get you on the sideline for one of those games.
0: I've been a good employee. I don't think I deserve that. <laughs> um, Your thoughts? Or, or what can you say? Well, that's that's a good point. I am... Excited by today's news and eager to see what the future of Huskies football brings to the signer of my paycheck. (laughs) Um, Tell me more. Is it it, because they're separate from a conference now, right? Uh,
1: I am looking here. Yeah, all our games will be national on CBS Sports Network.
0: Listen, credit where credit's due. They they do not have a conference now, and that's – that's a program that was being mentioned as inevitably dropping down to FCS just because of the revenue problems. Um, that's income that's, and that's a, that's a pretty unique television deal. I'm not just saying this cause I work for CBS and I have met Randy Edsel. Um, that's, that's a pretty significant stroke for income there. I mean, this is the time where people are losing money across the board, right? We're just talking about that. Um, to be able to ink a pretty unique, Television arrangement because nobody else is putting UConn games on TV um, now and in the future, probably. So, to find a way to get on TV consistently, I mean, it's I'm not saying that UConn is Notre Dame, but is there anybody else that has a network that's devoted to covering their games beside those two? Well,
1: now I know what we can aggregate UConn CBS, similar to Notre Dame NBC. Source, I'm, Mike Pesaza.
0: I'm going to have. I'm going to have to check my email about my UConn tweets, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Really, but- really and truly one of the worst defenses in football the past several years. Um, just mind blowing numbers when you look at the success rate, especially passing the ball um, against their defenses. And um, Randy Edsel. Yeah.
1: Hey, we can get back on track. I couldn't, I could not help myself when I saw that roll across my screen.
0: You can get back on track. <laughs>
1: You're flustered for the rest second. of the
0: podcast. <laughs> well, let's let's not, <laughs> because let's get <laughs> to the business at hand here. Uh, on Monday morning, kind of um, spent some time over the past days and weeks and, and probably even months, to be quite honest. This is quite some time ago we first dipped into this, right? Yeah. Looking at a history of recruiting at West Virginia, basically taking 18 years, revisiting everybody's rankings, getting industrial or industry averages. So what recruiting services were available at the time, 24-7 was not a thing back at at the beginning of this. But And then kind of averaging the ones that were together who also ranked the players, giving them the initial rank and then evaluating how they performed in college and giving them a separate rating based on their production and their completion of their eligibility or their pursuit to the NFL. And came up with pretty interesting, I think, results you get a, a glimpse at the very end about you know how everybody looked on paper from industrial average versus the re-rating 2002 to 2019. And then also how many stars they got in the re-rating. You know, you might not have gotten a lot of five-star recruits of the years in additional. So many years later, when you get to look back at how they actually performed and you rate them based on their production in college their longevity in college their awards in college hey more five stars that's pretty neat that's kind of what matters because and this is the point made at the very beginning at a place like west virginia where recruiting isn't easy if you're going to succeed your classes better be more successful held in a higher regard on the way out than they were on the way in imperfect look at history but interesting nonetheless
1: yeah, there's certainly some things that stand out to me right away when I'm looking at it. Um, Such as the first things are uh, the revised ranking for 2003, 2004. Obviously, that those classes are what makes up the majority of that 2005, 2006, 2007 run. Um, mm-hmm. So that makes all the sense in the world. That was uh, what the best three-year stretch in WV football history, and those are the two highest-rated revised rated classes out of that um uh, makes me ill looking at the 2007 to 2010 classes uh they were a little bit top heavy but still so small which even at the time uh we were all you know i think anybody that that really understood recruiting uh the logic behind hey you get five classes and you get 18 per class and you're good to go or 17 to get to the 85 that that's bad um and and it's painful to look at because you look at like that 2010 class which is at the highest rated class per you know average star rating and they got what eight eight ten guys in that class total i mean it's painful to look at
0: yep interesting to me was the kind of immediate gains by rodriguez's Recruiting classes. If you look at his industrial ones, his first couple of years are the lowest 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. The bottom five ranks for his first five years for industrial averages. But man, if you look at the revised ratings, all of them are top 10. So you're, you're, you're talking 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 is 2006 back to 2002. If you look at the revised ratings, tied for ninth, eighth, second, first, tied for ninth from 2006 to 2002 really overperformed and that was really kind of the immediate era where you looked at the way west virginia did things and if you'll remember the island of miss misfit toys ways was kind of the one thing that everybody said about this and it was you know maybe players who were under recruited or who were rejected or who were told to transfer to a division three school and be an all-american and they came into west virginia and performed and that kind of set into motion maybe an identity for what the program was going to be. If it was going to become a, a BCS contender and a conference championship contender on a consistent basis, it really had to make the most out of people on campus. It wasn't going to be, you couldn't care about the initial rankings and you couldn't favor a guy because so-and-so said he was, you know, a four-star player. Well, maybe you can't get him. So you don't spend time with him. Maybe you don't believe it, but you see this one guy, like, I don't know, uh, a running back from Pennsylvania, Levittown who can't get into a school in Maryland, but Hey, he comes and he, he earns all America honors at West Virginia steve slayton because you believed in him where others didn't so that was kind of what was interesting to me and then you're right if you look in those middle of it you know the 2010 class is the number one on the initial industrial average and it's ninth on the revised one Um, but before and after that 13 and 11 10 and 12 um, just a strange period in the middle there where you're coming off of some success but you're also going through two coaching changes
1: Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm looking again to try to figure out the, my theory has always been, and it's, I I think we've, we've definitely got anecdotal evidence and I'm sure somebody out there has actually done the research on this, but that recruiting classes peak like in plus one, uh, for your on field success. And in this instance, the very first thing I look at uh, I notice it right away. 2005, that was the um, – obviously the Sugar Bowl season went over Georgia. And the you go in plus one. So instead of the next class, which is 2006, plus one is 2007. That's the second best class ever at West Virginia. Um, uh, again, I'm not sure – it really follows through with everything. That's kind of what we've always assumed was the case. I see 2007 wasn't that great in the industrial average, but on the revised rankings, number three um, – so, kind of rolling through there again, 2011, boom, four number four ranking. So, might be some truth to that. I think you do see that kind of big push in the recruiting on in the recruiting rankings and in the recruiting trail. Um, one full cycle after the success on the field.
0: If you're not familiar with what we're talking about here, go check it out online. Uh, Go to earsports.com, and it's there. It's called 18 again because I'm very good with words, and we're looking at 18 recruiting classes again. But what we did, unscientific, but here's how we did this. Anybody who who stayed to graduate, finish their eligibility, or leave WVU for the NFL— they counted at least two stars, two, three, four, and five. And a five-star is an associated press, first, second, third-team All-American, someone who started with 40 or more starts in their career, or someone who won or was a finalist for a major award. A four-star person is a first or second-team All-Conference pick or someone who won a conference award. A three-star player is someone who started 12 games or who was at West Virginia for fewer than four seasons but averaged three starts a season. That accounts for the transfer craze of West Virginia. Crazy isn't the right word, transfer trend. Um, Two-star is someone who exhausted the eligibility and either played in games or, well, one case I'll get to, wasn't ever in trouble but just wasn't ever on the field. Just played, didn't play, but nevertheless completed the eligibility. Or it's someone who's on the roster right now and hasn't yet attained three, four, five-star status. Everybody else is a one-star. Um, probably the best way to do it. The trouble is there are some exceptions there. The one that everybody pointed out right away was Bruce Ervin. One of the more successful college and NFL players in this period, for sure. He never had AP All-America honors. He wasn't here four seasons, so he didn't start 40 more times. He never won a college award. So he's not a five-star player. He ended up being a four-star player, which is kind of strange, but that's kind of the way it worked. Um, My point being here is that the parameters are not perfect, but you really can't wrap the parameters around an outlier to accommodate one person. I think what we did here was we found a way to put the cookie cutter down and get the people inside each one who kind of belonged there too. What did you think of the ranking system?
1: I liked it. I, uh, like you said, the, the, once you get to the two extremes, you, you there are some issues. I think the Bruce Irvin one was when you, you rightfully pointed out or other people rightfully pointed out. And, um, uh, I think my only catch would be for like some of these, somebody has to start. So somebody has to be getting close to a three star. Uh, I feel like. So even if they're two stars, they're, they're people are going to be starting. If you had, you know, 25 two stars on a team or in a class. Some of those guys have to start. Some of those guys have to start a lot. So somebody's going to get a three or even a four star um, kind of by default. But well, maybe not, maybe, no, not four star. So I guess three star, but <clears throat> a lot of them. Yeah. So a four star, maybe not. Cause yeah, you got to get all conference, which, which is not easy to do. But, um, I like it. I didn't see any specific person that I would have, heck, I didn't even get, I, I, I get the Bruce Irvin one and I see it now. I, I kind of agree. Yeah. Maybe a five star, but I, even as I was, scrolling over it earlier and reading through it, nobody really stood out to me. As was like, man, uh, that guy was better or worse than what his revised rating was. So.
0: Well, readers did pick out two. I think maybe it was one reader who picked this one out too, but Broderick Jenkins, for example, was a serviceable college player, played in three dozen games maybe, um, did okay, started every now and then, but he didn't graduate at West Virginia. He didn't complete his eligibility at West Virginia he becomes a one star player. Um, that's unfortunate, but I think part of it is that if you're going to if you're going to work the recruiting thing right, you're going to have to be able to recruit but also retain. And if you have people who are leaving a lot, then you know that that doesn't work. Now he left, I believe in between the, no, during his senior season, is that correct? So mm-hmm. he was here for a long time and he mattered, but he just didn't finish up the eligibility. There are more players unlike him. In this and there are people who are like him. Another one um, was Skyler Simcox. He was a transfer kicker 2018 recruiting class and uh, he never played but still he factors into this and he receives, i um, trying to think how many stars he got, I believe two, right? Yeah, he gets two stars, right? Um, never played but he got two stars. He was here one year though. How many people start and finish their eligibility and don't see the field very few i can't think of anybody else on this chart who started their career at west virginia or who transferred in and both of them start or transfer in and then finish their career here who don't play so that's kind of a weird exception there too so it's it's a strange thing that you know you can contribute for a while and not count but you could not contribute and count they're glitches it's imperfect i get that but you're looking at 18 years you know let's say like on average maybe like 20 people in a class you're talking like 350 players here roughly and it's not going to fit everybody i get that um but what was kind of curious to me or most interesting to me was to revisit at the end and see um and see how the re-ranking did there are 25 star players in 18 years and 64 four star players with the re-ranking so you're talking 85 out of what we said about 350. So roughly a quarter, a little bit less um, of the players were four star or five star talents in five years. Does that say anything about recruit, retain, develop at WVU
1: a little bit? I think it, it certainly helps um, with guys, especially in those mid rich rod years with guys like Pat White, Steve Slayton, and so on. Um, And, yeah, because I I think
0: I'm
1: looking at some of the names that are four- and five-star because a lot of them, especially lately, are transfers, junior college players Mm -hmm. um, that ended up getting the high ratings. But most of that early on, or the revised ratings, excuse me. eh, I don't know. I kind of like it because... Now it's a little bit off or it's not a little bit off. It's a different five-star to clarify for our readers in in case they're not understanding because the 24 seven sports five-star ratings are like, you're expected to be a first round pick in the NFL draft. Also like that's, that's why they pick 32 per class is to project guys who will not only excel in college, but become a first round pick. So we're not saying that there are 21st round picks here, but 20 guys with kind of five star level um, college production, and all of that makes sense to me. I, I'm looking at the chart of the five stars, four stars, three stars, two stars. That goes exactly how I would expect it to for most every team, and especially West Virginia with you know 25 stars, 64 four stars, and then you kind of get into the guys that are just contributors: 101 three stars and 117 two stars guys that that make up the bulk of your team. But aren't playing, you know, playing and starting for extended periods of time or winning conference awards. So, like you said, there are a couple little glitches in it. But for an overall picture of the recruiting over the last two decades, it, it paints a nice picture.
0: It's a little bit unfair too, in some regard, because pretty much everybody right now is going to be. Um there's a mistake that I gotta fix. But pretty much everybody right now is going to be um, a two star right in the twenty nineteen. There's four exceptions or transfers. Uh Groudon, Campbell Jones and um Groudon, Campbell Jones Kendall. and Kendall all earn three. So, because they they qualify for the three, so that's good. But pretty much everybody else, they just haven't had the time. Similar for the twenty eighteen class, you just don't have time. But you got a couple fours and threes in there too. So those numbers are going to go up. So, anyways, let's let's cross those two classes out for a second because um, you're talking about sixteen remaining recruiting classes. Eleven performed positive with the revised rating relative to the industrial rating. So the difference was positive, and six of them were more than half a point better than the industrial average that's pretty good i think that's a reflection that things are going okay um i want to ask you this though we're talking about how the 18 and 19 classes they don't fairly represent what's happened here there are some players though who could really jump here we're talking a ton of two-star players um, i believe 36 in the two if i have my math right mm-hmm. so it's a pretty good number uh, which ones do you see here who could jump let's skip three who could go to four? I think a lot can go to three. That'd be a longer conversation. But who in those 18 and 19 classes do you think could jump up um, in one or two or three remaining years? And at the end of this, we're revising in a couple of years. And, hey, there's a, a conference award winner. There's a first or second team all-conference player. Heck, maybe there's an AP All-American. Maybe there's someone who started four times. Uh, maybe there's a major college award winner there. I think there's even candidates for that.
1: Wait, was Dante still – I see Dante still list is listed as a four-star. What am I – was he – oh, yeah, all big 12 second team. Damn. Mm-hmm. Counts. Um, oops, sorry, dropped a curse word. Going to have to bleep that out maybe. Um, do you think Josh Chandler can get uh, all con- second team all-conference? Do you think he can – I mean, not to – the uh, little like his actual play, but do you think he can rack up enough stats to kind of earn that from the league? I, that would be somebody I'd look at.
0: I wouldn't confidently say yes, but that's possible.
1: Uh, Tyke Smith is yep. one for sure. Um,
0: and the start. So could, he might go five just on the quantity of starts too.
1: Oh, yeah. Starter four seasons, 40 more starts. Yeah. Tykey Smith. Uh, definitely. Him, Kerry Martin will be on there uh, because of the starts. If not all conference honors. Who else do I want to put in there? I mean, those guys jump out at me right away. As guys that would get it in the 2019 class, I definitely think Josh Chandler will be on there. Uh, Michael Laughlin will be on there, especially with the stat the starts.
0: Do you think so? Yeah, I think so. How many did he have this past year? Uh, tight end's weird because sometimes you'll start five receivers. Sometimes you'll start, you oh, know, yeah. uh, two running backs. It could be tricky. I hate that.
1: <laughs> You're right, because <laughs> I always see it all the time, especially with how much research we've been doing lately on, you know, all all century teams and all that stuff. but um and guys starting three, but really it's like they were starting fullback for all 12, but just weren't out there on the first play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he uh, he technically only started four games last year, even though he was, what, the first team tight end for 10 of them probably.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. So,
1: okay, you're right. Maybe not. If, if you're going to get technical like that, then uh, James Gmitter. Oh, the,
0: the rules are the rules, Chris.
1: Yeah, James Gmitter will be on there. Mm-hmm. I think, no, I don't think Letty Brown's going to start 40 games. I don't think he'll do enough to get all conference. So who am I missing? Who do you got as a definite that I, I haven't mentioned yet?
0: So which one do you want to start, 18 or 19?
1: Go with 18. Let's go there.
0: By the way, one of the most amazing things during this was not that Trey Lowe counted. Like, he got you two. He graduated. Yeah phenomenal
1: two and a half years because he was there in the spring or he's finishing up right now so i guess he's or he finished it up this spring
0: yeah he's done yeah yeah i mean i was i was surprised by that uh sam james is one Mm -hmm. i think there's all conference potential there and certainly 40 starts i'm not sure if you mentioned him or not um from there though it's going to be it's going to be tricky for the rest of that class just because the Reasons you mentioned Gmitter would be my Other pick from there Others it's just going To be hard for them To get starts Because you pretty much If you're going to Hit the start mark You kind of have to Start your true freshman Or redshirt freshman season um, And otherwise you're Going to have to get All-america or Conference award winner So could could James get up into Four or five I think so I don't think that's A a bad idea there The one that's Interesting to me here Is is the 2019 class Because we like a lot Of the younger players In there like we like Bartlett for example Could he be an All-conference player By the time that he's A senior you would probably be Disappointed if he wasn't Right Right. Um, Martin, certainly the starts are going to be up there. Guys I think you want to look at would be, you know, some of the transfer candidates because you kind of have a high opinion of Miller. He's not going to get 40 starts, but could he be an all-conference player two years from now? Maybe. Uh, That's an interesting one. Um, Diggy, it's so hard to get quarterback. I think people like him, but if he's your starter for two years, he won't hit 40 starts. But could he do something? You know, he's not going to get the five. Uh, he's probably not going to win a major college award, but could he get some type of conference recognition? Maybe. The rest of them, you're really kind of projecting on because it's it's hard for them to hit the certain marks that we're talking about here, which is kind of the point. You know, the five especially, but four, you know, you're kind of you're being rewarded for not potential, which is kind of the difference with the recruiting aspect of this. You're kind of being rewarded for production, and you know, some of these are more attainable than others. But if you're going to be here for a couple years, if you're a starter in a major college program for for three years. You know, a conference award or a first or second team pick. I think that is a reasonable reservation for a, like a special player and like a truly special player would be someone who gets you, you know, 40 starts, eh, but an APL American honor or win or be a finalist for an award like the Groza or, you know, Maxwell, O'Brien, Remington. There's a whole bunch of West Virginia's been involved with in the past Groza. Um, the one thing it's, that's tricky about this and I understand is that putting the parameters in for four stars. And five stars, you would think that starting games would be more of a four star thing. But I think at West Virginia, if you start 40 games, you're gonna contribute quite a bit. And that's a weird thing, I understand. Like, oh 40 starts, all you did, you're out there. Cause like you're saying too, in some of these spots, you're gonna have to start. Like guys are gonna have to start. Fewer and fewer of those are just there because someone has to start forty times. So I, I do kind of agree with um the idea of making forty starts a benchmark and it's 10 starts a year for four years. You're probably going to be a pretty important player for a program. And again, relative to West Virginia, getting program guys who can contribute across time, I know that people are infatuated with transfers, but that's immediate infusion of talent, You know, quick return on investment. But if you can get someone who can help you out for four years at West Virginia, man, that's a major stake in the ground too. So we had outside help on this, and that was one point I had asked about, but that was kind of why that was a recommended Qualifier for five stars If you're here for four years and you start 40 times That's a pretty big uh, Contribution to a program like WVU That's yeah. what's going to be difficult for some of these 18-19 guys, a lot of them are in position to start 40 or more times, and again if, if Sam James, if Kerry Martin If, well who else racked up a bunch of starts Last year, Tyke Smith, if they can Get to 40, um, it started This past year, and they continued It across three years too, I think it's a Good representation of what they might be if you're having this conversation and re-rating and re-ranking a couple of years from now.
1: Was there anybody when you were going through that surprised you one way or the other, like you thought they would be higher or lower?
0: Um, probably like a lot of people. Heatland um, Dykes, who was a good player. I was surprised to find that he, he fit, um five stars, but he earned all big East. Now, granted, it might be easier to be all big East than all big 12. That's not his fault though. That was the one that I think kind of hit me right from the start. Um, and then just I – w- I would say that the fact that – I always forget this. Stanchek was an all-conference player, but he wasn't an all-American. That was strange to me. Um, Scooter Berry was a five-star player. Strange to me. And then if you go through some of these other ones, like, was you, would you believe that Jared Brown was a four-star player? That surprised me. Yeah. So more of a recency thing because I think I have a better handle on people who have more immediately covered or covered more recently. But, but um, the early five-stars – That was a bit of a surprise. Trey Lowe being a two, I forgot he graduated. That was a bit of a surprise. And then just, you know, kind of the people from years back when you were saying, you know what, they probably got a bump because of the Big East, but they were also the reason that those teams were good too. So West Virginia for a period of time was an up-and-coming program, you know, knocking on the door of the BCS and the national title even. And they had some good players there too. So it was a good reminder in that sense. Yeah.
1: I'm looking at that 2007 squad. That that was, or class, that was that was a good class really like, good I mean I, I know it had Noel Devine and that's what everybody remembers from recruiting and maybe the end result didn't have somebody like Pat White or Steve Slayton or Tavon or whatever but like just a a, a lot of contributors just up and down and I think I should probably there's probably a chart for this somewhere and I probably should have checked it beforehand but most four-stars revised rating in a class, right? Three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, eight that's at them. the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty remarkable to have that many players from one class kind of really contribute like that. Yeah, most, most in a cl- single class for the revised rating.
0: By a good margin. A couple of years had six, but eight. Uh, and then there are only 20 kids in that class. I say only because a couple years later they had nine state yeah. but um they lost a bunch of people from that class too look at the people who didn't make it in that 2007 class and if you can remember far back that far there, there are some there are some good players in there who just didn't qualify and didn't stick around asa chapman uh evan rodriguez i believe he went to the nfl for a little bit and bits harris was a really good prospect too was he not
1: yeah what was the other thing i was looking at there was another one that was just loaded with nfl guys too so it's I kind of like, oh, yeah, that was what I was looking at. The 2010 and 2011, both are two of the, would you say, five that the revised ranking was lower than the industry ranking.
0: Yeah, 2010 lost a lot of players.
1: Yeah, the 2010 just, I mean, one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players that count, and one of them was a Um, walk-on. Kicker. Yeah, walk-on kicker. But then you look at some of the names of guys that, went on to the NFL, Bruce Irvin, Quentin Spain, going to the next class, Nick um, uh Josh Francis went on. I, I, people might not think of him, but he went off, played in the NFL, played for the Packers um, before bouncing around some of the smaller leagues. So it's it, those two classes are going to get a bad rep, but produce some pretty darn good players too.
0: Did um, the did not retain list give you any memories?
1: None of them good. But yeah, a lot of math, a lot of memories in there. Let's see, <laughs> somebody getting stabbed, and somebody or what was that fight all the way across town in Morgantown and God, uh, Dante Angus, of, yeah. Dante Angus, who played offensive line, defensive line, offensive line, defensive line, disappeared from the team and then showed up in the transfer portal a full year later. That was a good so, one too.
0: 9, 10, 11 were very interesting to me. Let me tell you some players who didn't make it from 9, 10, 11, if, you're, if you don't mind. Mm. Um, Jenkins, we said he was good. Bronco Busick was uh, a pretty talented linebacker who I think would have been a good player. He just had some lot to deal issues that he's since corrected. Um, he's actually a cage fighter now. Chris Snook was a four-star, um, just didn't last. Cole Bowers, Daquan Hargret, Jordan Weinger, these are all solid three-star players. But then you get into like some of the, again, the cream of the crop here again. Logan Hasty was... You know, a top receiver, Dominic Davenport, a high school teammate. Those are both four star guys. Jonathan Scott was a big rangy safety who they really liked. And then, of course, Davida Fanale. Those are all four and above guys who just didn't make it. And then a year later, Jeremy Johnson, Dion Long, Marquise Wallace, all highly regarded guys, um, skill position and linemen. And then, yeah, you're right. 2011 class had some, you know, some good enough players, I think. Uh, also, Justin Turner was a five star transfer. I'm trying to remember where he was from. But he transferred in for the 2010 team and just didn't stick. Uh, but, yeah, that 2011, guys who didn't make it, um, solid three-star kind of guys, Ben Bradley, Dante Campbell. Matt Morrow was a junior college linebacker. No, cornerback, I think he played me, safety. Vance of Bernard Roberts, those were good. Maryland players that West Virginia was trying to matter at, so a lot of talent squandered in those three classes, unfortunately. Oh, I-, I, have a, I have a quiz for you if you're ready.
1: Uh, can you give me one second to oh. say that – I think there is a common factor in a lot of these, and it's very unfortunate. But uh, Chris Beatty, Chris Beatty, lead recruiter on
0: Highwater, uh, like, yeah,
1: yeah, on like half of the kids that either didn't make it at all or ended up leaving pretty early. Um, I think you know that was obviously this was pre uh, the new NCAA rules that you couldn't if you signed a player that didn't qualify, you couldn't sign somebody else. And there were a lot of very questionable academically uh, kids that, that were signed in those classes as well.
0: Yeah. I would love to go through and pick the all didn't make it teams. I'm looking through and I don't know if they took flyers on guys or what, but it's not just guys like, for example, recently, Quantel Reigns or Steven Smothers, but like Tyree Cole, um, Javon <laughs> Durant doesn't count. I'm trying to think of who else here in my head. Uh, who's the running back from North Carolina? Oh, Dante, Dante Thomas
1: was, Thomas yeah, that Williams. was,
0: a, that was a big one. Um, receiver who went to play like tight end at Marshall. Oh, McManus,
1: McManus but he was recruited as a linebacker though. So,
0: and then who was I, the linebacker from Texas in that class too? Sam Levy?
1: No, he was from, uh, Maryland. Maryland he okay. was in the same, he was in the same class. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, man, I'm just, gonna, uh, you're right. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, and the guys who I've forgotten about, um, Chris, who is Steve Pascores? What year is that? Is this pre... 2011. Like, what? I had to remind myself. Yeah, Steve Pascores. He was a transfer. Um, Holgerson's first recruiting class. So that 2011 team that had guys that they were just kind of throwing together and trying to see if they could work. Um, he was a linebacker from Notre Dame. And played in central pennsylvania maybe western pennsylvania and was a big time recruit um like a top five player at his position in pennsylvania which usually has pretty good linebackers but uh here we go he went to notre dame number 29 player in the country number three linebacker excuse me number 29 player in the state number three linebacker um top 10 this top 30 that one of the top linebackers different services um just never healthy but I remember now, oh, and went back. I even wrote about him too. They thought he would be like an immediate impact guy, and I just don't think he ever was healthy that first season. I forgot about him. I forgot about Devin Brown, who had a really good season in the slot, and I believe he had a pretty good bowl game against uh, Clemson. So yeah, uh, memory lane was good on this, but um, yeah. people I don't remember. Chris, who are these people? is a real person, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Graham Gonzalez. Fernandez McDowell, Carl Rodriguez, and Lopez Lopez.
1: I have no. Wait, is Graham Gonzalez is that, That's not Tito, is it?
0: No, Tito's Tito.
1: Okay. Um, I have no idea. Why do I not know?
0: Fernandez McDowell. I've never heard of Fernandez McDowell before, and I can find very little literature on him.
1: Huh. Is that, is that pre me too? Or am I missing somebody else from my early years?
0: Uh, let me yeah, find out his oh, years. We're talking about a...
1: 2003. I, Mike, I was in college. I was, who knows where my mind was then.
0: three-star player, 83 rank and the uh, 83 score in the 24 seven sports composite was a top 25 player in Louisiana, top 28 safety in the country. And, uh, East Jefferson Parish, never made it. I had I'd never heard of that name before. I had to go look him up, and I was like, I wonder if the person who was helping us just threw one in there to throw me off guard. But yeah, a <laughs> long time ago, and that's when they were trying to get guys in that part of Louisiana because it worked so well Chris Henry, and they found people who wanted to you know spread their wings and get out of there and go do stuff, and uh, that was someone that it turned out they had high hopes for, too. So um, so anyhow, that was a, a pandemic exercise that, again, I think we first got this in february we started going on this is that right
1: yeah i think you sent it to me pretty pretty early on right around signing day sometime
0: yeah so that was the exercise like hey recruiting is obviously important too but don't forget these people three and four and five years from now too so um yeah have a look at it drop your thoughts and comments and critiques i'm sure we'll have some more by the time that um this posts and everybody has had a chance to look and digest it but insightful i think yeah Yeah. not a a a time killer yeah
1: it's uh a lot better than some of the other stuff i've seen from a lot of people out there during this time i'll put it that way
0: it's hard to do do because like like you mentioned the coming in it's on potential and it's limited too and on the way out there's a lot of factors that you know you might be a, a good performer i mean you might not get nearly the credit you deserve or you might get a lot more credit than you could deserve it's imperfect but i think if you took away the extremes and you concentrate on the core it's a pretty accurate representation of who did what and what they mattered to the university. Yeah. Yep. I've nothing else, Chris, do you
1: No, I'm going to save, I'm going to save my lukewarm take. I might put it into writing, uh, mm. uh, later this week. And then on the ensuing podcast, you can tell me how wrong I am or how my take is, what? How did you phrase it? You wanted to take that take and cut it up into little cubes and put it in your tea. I think you. How you roasted me last time?
0: Yeah, tea. Yes, my tea. Exactly.
1: But I, I'm going to save that for Thursday, and then and then we can discuss it on. Friday. So, is I got a couple thoughts on a couple different things just over the last couple decades that I've thought about for a while, and
0: what better time than to discuss it now.